There is a song that I was thinking about. We're not going to sing it tonight. But there's a song when I was a kid we used to sing, and we'd sing it sometimes fast or slow, and there were simple motions with it. And I don't know if they still teach it. Uh, For example, this isn't the song, but how many of you learned like the countdown song, 10 and 9, 8 and 7? How many of you learned that when you were a kid? How many of you didn't learn that? I'd, I'd be interested to see that. Okay, so we'll have to not teach you the countdown song okay so so that was like the space age song you know that's when when people were you know being first sent to the moon we learned you know um the countdown song and uh, there's a lot of songs like that stop and let me tell you what the lord has done for me how many of you learned that song had the stop sign go and tell the story of the christ who died for me so those are just old songs that we used to learn when when i was a kid And then there is a song that I don't know if they still teach or not, so I thought I'd ask. Do do you remember the song, and uh, usually our teacher, you know, would, I'm in right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy all the time. I'm, that's all we're going to do. Okay, so so the teacher would do that, and, and in right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy all the time. Since... Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart from sin. Okay. I, that's all we're going to do. In, right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy, all the time. Okay, so now, some of you would have had these fits, like I can't process until, it's like when somebody plays a song and they don't finish the last note, right? So it causes depression, okay? The reality is that there are not people, I don't believe, on this side of eternity. At least scripture doesn't seem to bear it out. Scripture doesn't seem to bear out that, that you know, the, the song we learned as little children, I'm in, right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy, all the time, is the reality of life. And so there is something that's incongruent, something that's not balanced, when we teach, hey, you're supposed to be happy all the time, and then when the Apostle Paul says, listen, we were so weighted down, there's indication that when Paul's talking about his trip to Asia, he's so weighted down, he's like a ship that is overburdened with cargo that is about to go under. It can't do what it needs to do to surface because of the heavy load that it's carrying. And sometimes in life, and in the life of those who are Christ followers, there seems to be this heavy burden. For those of you that are guests, this last Sunday evening, we began something that we're going to pick up again tonight, and then we'll finish on Sunday night. We're in a series on Sunday nights that we have titled Stony Ground. And what we're approaching and addressing tonight is what we're calling the stony ground of depression. We call it stony ground because it seems to be areas where we have trodden often, where we have revisited on numerous occasions. And because of the number of times we have walked that pathway, there seems to be some hardened way, some ground that seems to be unyielding, hard-packed, Something that needs um, some additional work to turn that over and break up what sometimes we refer to as fallow ground. I don't know if you've read the book or not, but it's still relevant, in fact, wonderfully insightful. 
It was written, of course, many years ago by a man named John Bunyan who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. If you've never read it, it is worth your investment of time. He writes about a young man who is leaving the the city of the world and he is on his journey to the celestial city. He begins that journey with a companion and as they're making their way to the celestial city, they find themselves fallen all of a sudden on the trail in this bog that is something of which they find it quite difficult to remove themselves. Uh, Bunyan writes the following, a very miry bog that was in the midst of the plain and they being heedless did both fall suddenly into the bog. The name of the bog was Despond. Here, therefore, they wallowed for a time, being grievously covered with dirt. And Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, began to sink in the mire. His traveling companion eventually works his way out of this miry bog, despond, but he immediately heads back to the city from whence he came, abandoning his journey to the celestial city. Christian continues to find himself struggling in this bog. And then finally, someone whose name is Help. And by that, this is the person that Bunyan intends to be allegorically the person of the Holy Spirit. Comes and helps Christian out of this bog, this this place of despair, despond. Helps him out and And then Christian has some important questions. He asks why this dangerous plot of land has not been, quote, mended, that poor travelers might go on heaven's journey with more security. And help tellingly replies, this miry bog is such a place as cannot be mended. What he's saying is, and what Bunyan's indicating is, there are some despondent areas that are actually part of the journey. And no matter how we might try to address it and fix it up and and somehow plank our way over it, he says the, the, the way is defying correction. There are some areas of despond that simply will not be mended. Tonight, again, we've extended our Sunday night series to address this matter of the stony ground of depression. The last time we gave it a little subtitle on Sunday night, and that was walking the pathway of pain. Tonight, if we gave it a subtitle, we would title it, Will This Ever End? Will This Ever End? Again, to define depression we gave it some general um, descriptives, and that is extreme sadness or despair that can last for more than days. It interferes with the normal events of daily life, can cause a wide variety of symptoms, such as physical pain, loss of sleep, lack of energy, inability to concentrate, feelings of worthlessness, etc. Now, before we go any further, we're about to jump into Psalm chapter 13. Let me acknowledge that this is not the pathway for extended, deep periods of time that everyone has traversed. I do think that it's common for people to know like, oh, wow, I'm in this kind of weird mood. 
or I'm in some kind of, I don't know, melancholy state. Maybe every person at some time or another has faced some kind of what we might even term mild depression. When we're addressing this, we're not trying to say that, hey, this is the next hurdle that you're going to have to face. Does everybody go through these extended periods of significant, sometimes what we would even call debilitating depression? And the answer is clearly no. But I do find it also interesting that there are probably more people who have struggled or are struggling with depression than with which we might be aware. We might be a little bit taken back, like, wow, I never had any idea. The last time on Sunday night, again, that we walked through this, when we kind of opened the door to this topic, we used a person that most of us who have some cursory understanding of hold in the highest regard. And then we just took from his writings, the writings of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, some insights that help us see what are some of the challenges, reasons why Spurgeon acknowledged These are reasons why we think he struggled with depression, and we mentioned 11 reasons. Just to state these, we won't really revisit them, but he said things like chemical imbalance, illness, trauma, loneliness, increased mental exertion, fame, failure, conviction, nervousness, controversy, criticism. And then we just started taking quotes from Spurgeon and saying, hey, these are things that he said that support these different 11 reasons why Spurgeon may have been one who struggled. We know he did struggle and reasons why he may have struggled with depression. You know, he also said this, and I think it was one of the most insightful quotes that we looked at last uh, Sunday night. He said this, he said, do not think it unspiritual to remember that you have a body It is no small thing to get the flesh put into order. The physician is often as needful as the minister. Now, I I take note of that because I think that while clearly there is a spiritual component to so much of our depression, there is also other reasons why people struggle with the same. Now, I don't think that you can honestly medicate your way out of a spiritual problem. So can I say that again? You cannot medicate your way out of a spiritual problem. It just follows you right along. But I also don't think that you can always just Bible verse your way out of a physical problem. Do you know how many times have we told people, well, just learn another verse? or just pray another prayer, or just trust God a little bit more. Do you know, all throughout Scripture, we see that God did two things when it came to the physical ailments of people, actually three things. At times, God miraculously intervened, and sometimes God does that today. There were times when God would physically intervene. Some medical procedure was was enacted upon If a person had leprosy and and there was some, hey, I want you to go do this. And wow, the Lord used some physical thing to bring about physical healing. And then sometimes God did nothing. There was something that a person continued to struggle with. And eventually it, it ended in the cessation of physical life. And God continues to do things in ways even regarding our physical, mental 
uh, spiritual components in ways that, that are certainly um, God's to do. Let's look at some things tonight as we consider this matter of the stony ground of depression. Your Bibles are open right now to Psalm chapter 13. And there is going to be some raw honesty that immediately jumps off the pages of Scripture. And you know what it does? I think what God's allowing for us to see is that if the psalmist can be that transparent, that honest, even that raw with God, then so can you. And then we might even take that another step further and say, can, can intimacy with God ever really, truly be realized if there's not at least an honesty with God when it comes to what's going on with you? I think sometimes we try to put on such a face with everyone else, we carry that over in our interactions with God. And what God is bringing us to is a place where we're finally just saying, God, I just have to be honest with you. And I think that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. Okay, Psalm chapter 13. Let's start in verse number 1 and 2. Psalm 13, 1 and 2. The first thing we're going to see is David's questions for God. David's questions for God. Look at how many times. He, by the way, he says this four times. Verse number 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemies be exalted over me? These are, again, David's questions for God. He's, he's really kind of coming to God and say, hey, listen, I have some questions for you. Now, I'm not even certain that David's asking the right questions. But he is at least honest enough to say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. And so my, my presumptions about how you are treating me are coming out in my questions. It's almost as if David, through his questions, is making an accusation against God. So he just, he just levels it. And, and we all understand what David's saying is, okay, how long do I have to go through this? Because time matters to us. Time is something that if we understand, okay, this goes from this time to this time, I can endure this. Sometimes if you're in the dentist's chair, so to speak, okay, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be this and then we're done. And so we kind of gear up for the discomfort because I know, okay, it's going to be from this time to this time. But can you imagine being given, you, you did wrong, you were convicted, and a sentence is given. Can you imagine the sentence being an open-ended sentence? It's not like your sentence is, okay, you got five years. Do you know if you go in with knowing I have five years, okay, five years, day one. And, and maybe you mark it off, and maybe there's some record tracking, keeping of time, but five years. I mean, some people, 20 years. But to have a sentence, and the sentence is, uh, we'll let you know. I mean, how frustrating would that be? And it, and, it, and it seems to resonate with us when we read passages like 1 Peter 5.10. But the God of all grace, okay, he has what I need, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered, you see the next words, a while. 
After that, you have suffered a while. And I think this is where David is. After that, you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen. Ah, settle you. How long, Lord? That's what David keeps asking. Lord, when's this going to end? And God says, after that, you've suffered a while. Now, what David is expected to do is say, Lord, you're trustworthy. You've been trustworthy in my past. You're going to be trustworthy in my future. But David is asking an honest question, and he asks it four different ways. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? You're going to forget me forever? No one likes to be forgotten. And that's what David seems to indicate. Have you forgotten me? And God, I mean, are you never going to remember me again in the future? Have you forgotten me forever? I don't know that David really believes this, but he's insinuating something to God by the question. How many of you, your parents ever forgot you somewhere? You just got left behind. Okay, how many of your parents left you somewhere and then they moved without a forwarding address? Okay, <laughs> nobody likes this, to be forgotten. Oh, I, I forgot about even, even like, oh, we were supposed to meet for, I'm so sorry, I forgot. Nobody likes to be forgotten. But David seems to be at the place where he says, have you forgotten me forever? He goes on. He says, number two, how long will you hide from me? How long will you hide from me? And he just asks, how long wilt thou hide thy face from me? It's equivalent to David saying, God, you've turned your back on me. Have you ever gotten in this little tiff with somebody? Maybe if there's a husband and wife here and it's kind of like that back-to-back standoff and someone tries to say something and they just kind of turn their back and say, you know, some years ago we, we would, you know, say, speak to the, speak to the hand. Like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not having this conversation. And what David is saying is, God, I'm trying to talk to you. And, and David senses that God is unwilling to answer. Number three, David asks the third question, how long will my heart question itself? That's a, that's a tough spot because now he's saying, I'm left to answer these questions myself. Look at the, the, the phrase he uses, how long shall I take counsel in my soul having sorrow in my heart daily? How long do I have to come up with answers? God, what's going on? If you've struggled with depression, you start to get in your own head. You're in your own head. Like, how am I going to get out of this? And the more you swirl around in your own head, the more you find I don't have the answers. God, how long do I have to be the one who provides the answers? It's almost as if the longer he thinks about it, the longer he fears he's going to think about it, and the more worn the stony ground of his depression becomes. And then number four, how long, will I de- how long will I be defeated by this enemy of depression? How long will I de- be defeated? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? And today you might be saying, God, will I ever have victory over that which is clearly defeating me? And that's a scary question to ask. And, but David is asking the question. Do you know, at least one-third of the Psalms, and some estimate up to one-half of the Psalms, are laments. Do you know what they do? They give voice to our emotions. They allow for us to say, wow, that's in the pages of Scripture. This is what's unfolding from, from what is before us. This is Holy Spirit-inspired truth. 
I was just looking at, at Psalm 88 today. Oh, Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draweth nigh unto the grave. I'm counted with them that go down into the pit. I'm as a man that hath no strength. Free, he's saying, I'm drifting as among the dead. I mean, th this is like almost this violent language that comes from the mouth of the psalmist. And we find it in the pages of Scripture. Do you know what God's doing? He's, he's saying, listen, there's something that your emotions can attach themselves to. We, we sometimes say that our emotions are like the free radical of the soul, and they are. You can't just tell yourself to be happy. You can't tell yourself to stop doing this because our emotions are just going to do, they need some place to land. And you know what God does with us in the Psalms? He says, attach your emotions here. And in Psalm 13, these first couple verses, how long, how long? He's, he's accusing God. But guess where he moves to? He moves to a good place. And this is a good place for you and I to say, okay, there's sometimes. The only thing I can do is just start asking questions. And it's a little accusatory, but it's how I feel. And God already knows how you feel. So why not put some, some words, some, some thought to your feelings? And now David is able, because he's finally gotten that off his chest, now David can come to the next place where he says, okay, maybe he breathes a little bit. There are even some who say there's a little pause in the Hebrew that allows for a breath right here. There's no, there's no sila that's recorded here, but they say there's a little space. Breathe. So he's, he's already made this accusation. How long? How long? Four times he asked the question. And now David gets, gets to this ask, a good place. Okay, so David, what do you want, really? Because you've asked your question, you've kind of unloaded. What are you asking? This is David's request for God. I mean, if you're, if you're going to, you know, have these questions, the questions almost formed with, as, a, as an accusation, let's, let's move it a little bit further. God, this is my ask. This is what I want. And, and measure it. Okay, am I really able? Should I be asking this of God? Notice what he says in verse number 3, Psalm chapter 13. He says, consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. It's uncanny how we can often look into another person's eyes and see exactly What's going on? I mean, there are some of you that know people well enough, some of you husbands and wives, you can just look at your spouse and you say, hey, what's, what's going on? I can remember it as a kid. When I was just a kid, we'd sit at the dinner table and um, I can remember hearing it and it stood out to me. Um, most often, my dad would, um, we're all at the table and dad would look at mom. I have vivid memories of this. And he'd say, hey, you okay? Because he's looking at her and he knows something is not just right. I can remember that as clear as anything. And it stood out to me like dad sees something and he's concerned right now for my mom. Really meaningful. And what David is saying is light in mine eyes. Lord, if you look at me right now, other places he says my tears have, have been the water of my face night and day. 
They, they are a continual stream. And he says, lighten mine eyes. Lighten. And it's a literal, there's a literal um, connection here. He's saying, I just need a little glimmer of, of daybreak. It's as if I am looking so keenly, carefully at the horizon, and all I see is darkness. There are other places in the Psalms where he seems to indicate, the psalmist seems to indicate that darkness is where his friends are. What he's saying is, Lord, the only thing I see right now is darkness. Would you just allow me to see a little glimmer of light? That's a good ask. You know, you might be in a place right now where you say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with depression. I, I, man, I didn't, don't know how severe, I don't know what it is, but I'm in this mood. I've, I've got this melancholy feeling. Some of you might say, listen, I'm struggling with some deep depression. Others, no, I kind of, I just don't feel all. He's saying, will you allow me to just have a little glimmer of light? There's something about light that is quite comforting. I don't know if when you were a kid you said, would you, would you leave the light on? And probably your parents said, no, 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 I'm not going to leave the light on. Time to turn the light off, go to bed. Will you leave the door open? I'll leave the door open. Because you wanted a little knowledge of what is in the darkness. I want a little, I want a little glimmer of pathway through. I need just some reassurance. And as a child, you know, it's, will you leave the light on? And in your mind, you're thinking because, you know, there might be monsters under the bed. And if the light's on, I can see them, you know. <laughs> you just want some reassurance. Really what David is saying is, God, will you just give me a little pathway so that I can see what's next. So if you look at it, you know, in this psalm, you start to see that David is starting to turn a corner. And it might be slight, but he goes from this questioning God to requesting something of God. And now look at where he gets to. It's an, it's an honest pattern for people like us. Look at verses 5 and 6. We see David's confidence in God, his confidence. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. Now here's what we see with David right now. We see David starting to look past his despondency. Now he's still down. He still is despairing, but what he's doing is he's saying, this is what I'm going to do. Here is my pathway forward. Remember, the soul that makes up you, that's you, all right? It's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. What David gets to now, he finally got stuff off his chest. He has an honest, this is my ask, God. I'm asking you this. And now he gets to the place where he says, okay, now here's what. I might not feel like doing this, but I am not going to be caught in the swirl, the constant swirl of my emotions. 
I'm going to go beyond what I feel and I'm going to take a step forward and I'm going to do what, what I know here I'm supposed to do. I think what he's banking on is the fact that we seldom feel our way into a right way of acting. But what David is saying, no, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to act my way into a right way of feeling. I'm going to do what I know I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to trust God that my feelings will follow. You know, that's a, that's a grown-up thing to do. You know, when we hear an infant cry in this auditorium, we all hear it. And oftentimes, finally, uh, you know, a mom will say, okay, come on, let's go. And we hear that baby cry all the way out the door, you know. And, and then, you know, they're, 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 take, they're you know, consoled. But a, a, baby, a baby only thinks about what they want. They're not thinking about, well, this is, this is distracting to other people. I'll wait until the service is over and cry then. They're, they're not doing that. Just whatever... That's what they do. And you know, David goes beyond. He takes, like, this is a mature step. Notice what he says again. He says, but I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. This is David looking beyond his despondency, beyond his depression, and he's speaking truth to himself. He's telling himself things he needs to hear. This is the anticipation of the future. My heart shall. Do you see that? My heart shall. There's coming a day when I'm not going to allow my present to be forever the definition of my future. And that is a, that is a depressing place to be. I'm always going to be this way. Listen, you may have some tendencies toward despondency. I, I understand. You may say, this is kind of my personality. Okay, but don't allow what are your inclinations to be the definition of who you're always going to be bound to. I'm going to take some steps forward. I will sing unto the Lord. Then it's a reflection of the past because he hath dealt bountifully with me. God's dealings with us in our past become our roadmap for the future. You say, yeah, you know, when I look back, I keep seeing God did this and this and this. That's now my roadmap for the future. Uh, how many of you are dog people? How many of you are dog people? Okay. So I'm a dog people, okay? So I, I love dogs. I have a dog. My dog, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have a dog that knows exactly like what you're going to do? I mean, they start walking to the place where they know you're going to go. They just look at you like, okay, come on, it's time for you to do this next. When I come, when I go to work, she starts to pout before I walk out the door. I know, jerk, you know, she gives me that. You know, and then when I come home and I change, put on a t-shirt, a pair of jeans. Listen, when I put one tennis shoe on, she just is waiting right there. When I put the second tennis shoe on, she comes running in, second tennis shoe on. Okay, it's time to play. Not when only one shoe, like who does that? Nobody does that with one shoe, she's saying. Hurry, get the other shoe on. How does she know all this? Because she, she knows so much of the past. She is banking on the future, my dog, because she knows so well my past. And you know, when you pause 
and you start to think about, God, I, I have this record. I have the big story, the, the meta-narrative of you. And all I have to do is just rehearse over and over and over again your dealings with mankind. And then if I want to get personal, all I have to do is take an honest look, not, not change the reality, an honest look at my own life. And when I look back, God, the steps of the good man are ordered by the Lord. And I look back and I can delight in the way, your good way. And God, I'm using the past to give me some roadmap for the future. This is David's confidence in God. So what do you do? Okay, so what do I do with all this? Okay, here's what you do. Number one, speak truth to yourself. Speak truth to yourself. The psalmist does it all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 42, verse number 11, he's having a conversation with himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. David, the psalmist here, he starts having this conversation. Why am I cast down? Well, you might be cast down for a lot of reasons. It's an honest question, not a bad question. Well, because I have some physical ailment. Okay, let's take care of that. Why am I cast down? Because I'm sleep deprived. Okay, let's take care of that. Not during church, but let's take care of that. Okay. Why am I cast down? Because I just had a relationship that was severed. Why am I cast down? Oh, because, man, I failed at this. Ask some honest questions. Why art thou cast down, O oh my soul? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. Like, oh, Lord, if I'm ever going to smile again, if light's going to return to my eyes, God, that comes from you. You are my God. What do you do? Speak truth to yourself. What do you do? Know that while your trials may be tedious, they are temporary. While your trials may be tedious, like I'm tired of this. I don't want this anymore. While they may be tedious, they are temporary. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal, I love this verse, weight of glory. For our light affliction, you say, listen, Pastor Redland, my affliction is not light. It is compared to the eternal weight of glory. My, my trials are so heavy right now. Then think about how weighty your future glory is. Know that while your trials may be tedious, they are temporary. What do I do? Remember that when God seems distant, he is never delinquent. While God may be, seem distant, he is never delinquent. He is always fulfilling his duty as God. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And lastly, a phrase I've heard, I hope you've heard often and hope you'll hear again. Never doubt in the darkness what God has revealed in the light. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 10, the prophet wrote, who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant? Listen, okay, this is one that fears the Lord, 
obeys the voice that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Campus Church, we do oftentimes walk the stony ground of depression. Speak truth to yourself. Know that trials are temporary. Remember when God seems distant, he is never delinquent. And never doubt in your dark times what God has already revealed in the light.